Okay, if I could get your attention, we'll get started. This is our ninth lesson, if you can believe that. Time has gone by so fast. So um, we have one more lesson next week. will be our tenth one. And then we'll have a recess until uh, probably February. We'll hopefully start up again a new series in February. And we'll be studying who knows what. <laughs> Whatever the Holy Spirit leads, you know, that's where we'll go. All right. So we, today, in today's lesson, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, which is the key passage in the whole Bible, especially the New Testament, which, which involves us, the key passage in the Bible about giving, about giving, right? And so in today's movie clip, we see Kramer gives by uh, working for free in a new job. <laughs> All right. All right, so today's passage is about giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And if you're like me, your worst nightmare is to take a guest to church and find out the sermon is on giving. Have you ever done that? The guy gets up there, the minister, you know, and he's under pressure from the committees and everything, and they're behind raising money and all that. And your guest has to sit there for, you know, forever listening to all this money. You know, you've got to give and we need you and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so none of us likes those kind of sermons. It kind of turns a 30-minute sermon into feeling like an hour and a half, right? Uh, and since they usually try to put you on a guilt trip, it makes you feel like it's giving is an obligation or a burden, right? Not just me, is it? No, I know. Uh, well, interesting enough, the key passage in the New Testament that we're getting ready to go over does just the opposite does just the opposite. Paul does an incredible job of not only letting us know that it's really an opportunity and a privilege to give, but he talks about rejoicing and having joy in it and being excited about the ministry, etc. It really is completely opposite of what the traditional church, you know, typically makes of it. So, uh, Paul tells us giving is a privilege, it's an opportunity, and it's a blessing. Why might our experience be different? Why, why is typically it's different in church? Because the church's emphasis, they're under pressure, and they try to make it out, I think wrongly so, an obligation. You must do this. It's your obligation. And then also, we have a reluctance to give up our money, because we love money. We, we worked hard for that money, right? So people tend to be kind of tight. and It's hard to get them to release it. Uh, a famous joke, I'm sure you've heard it, but it's my favorite. A minister asked a wealthy man for a special donation. We really needed you to come through for us. And the guy said, well, wait a minute. Did you know that I have a sister with a very expensive, in a very expensive hospital? He said, no, I didn't know. Did you know my parents are in a rest home? No, I didn't know. Did you know my children all have to be put through college? No. So the guy says, well, if I won't give them any money, why should I give it to you? <laughs> a notorious tightwad, right? <laughs> and then the joke about the guy who loved gold, and he was a gold collector and everything. And so... When he, he prayed, right before he died, he prayed, Lord, please let me take my gold to heaven. I know that we're not supposed to take anything, but please let me. So God said, fine. 
So this guy, he passes away, and he has a special permit. He shows up with a wheelbarrow full of gold. And you know, the Revelation uh, 21 says, the streets are heaven of heaven are paved in gold. So he comes in with all this gold, and, and the people there uh, pick it up out of his deal and say, pavement? Why'd you bring pavement? <laughs> I mean, it's just human being, human nature is what it is. Uh, remember the old Jack Benny routine? Part of Jack Benedict's comedy routine was, you know, that he was a skinflint, a tightwad. And so he did this uh, skit all the time where he would be walking down the street and a robber would come up, you know, with a mask and a gun and said, your money or your life? And there would be this long pause. And finally the robber would say, well, which one? Give me a chance to think this over. Yeah, it was just so true is why it was so funny. Um, I, I saw this interesting snippet. Money will buy a bed but not sleep, books but not brains, food but not appetite, a house but not a home, medicine but not good health, amusement but not happiness, finery but not beauty, and a crucifix but not a savior. So money has its limitations, but we all seem to want to hold on to it a little too tightly. Now, I'm sure if I was on the building committee or something and I was, it was my obligation to raise money for the church, you know, I would probably say, you know, everybody needs to tithe. But for our purposes, let me, and I'll probably get tarred and feather for this, especially if anybody at the church listens to it. <laughs> But there is nowhere in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, that we're supposed to tithe. It's not there. Now, they might bring up the passage in Hebrews uh, 7 about Melchizedek, but that passage is there strictly about Jesus being superior to Abraham. It has nothing to do with tithing. He just mentions that Abraham gave him a tenth. But it has nothing to do with New Testament rules on tithing. So it's just something that's a tradition of the church came up because it's generally a good rule of thumb. You know, if you're looking for some direction, it's, it's a good thing to give 10%. And I'll go along with that. But typically, you know, churches like to grab that and say, you must, you're obligated, it's a rule. I even had one sermon, um, a guy sent me a tape. And it's a local church. It would shock you. It shocked me. And his sermon was on giving and on tithing. And he said, if you don't, it is an indication that you are not saved. I recoiled in horror. <laughs> right? But it's not in the New Testament. I promise you. I dare you to find it. Where does it come from then? Where does tithing, the idea of tithing comes? Uh, traditionally, it comes from the Old Testament. Uh, the law of Israel that Moses gave, they were to give 10% to the priesthood and 10 more percent to the temple and 10 more percent to the priests. So let me let you in on a secret. If you think you've been tithing all these years, you still owe 20%. So cough it up. 
<laughs> but that's where it comes from. That's where the concept comes from is the Old Testament. And what they don't tell you is in the Old Testament, it's actually a tax. It's a law. It's like the taxes we pay because there was no division between church and state. The church was the state. They made the law. They made the rules, and they ruled over Israel. And so it was a law and a taxation. But that's where traditionally, of course, the idea of tithing is. In the New Testament, there are no laws. Christ set us free from the burdens and obligations of the law. You're free. You're free. Now, in the New Testament, for us, the covenant of grace, God is more interested in your heart attitude. That's what it comes down to now. God loves a cheerful giver. That's what it's all about. God loves it when we have the faith to give. That's what God loves. And, and you're going to see that in the passage when we go through it in a minute. Jesus condemned, on the other hand, to the opposite of that, Jesus condemned the leaders of the religious leaders of Israel in Matthew 6. He says, don't be like the Pharisees. Matthew 6, 1 through 4, they're hypocrites because their motivation for giving is acclamation from other people. They want the pats on the back. They want people to say, oh, he's very religious and he gives. And they even sound a trumpet when they put the money in the coffer so everybody will see it. Jesus says, no. This is where the passage where Jesus says, don't let the left hand see what the right's doing, you know, which is just a metaphor for you give privately, privately. Because this is giving is between you and God. And God knows your heart. New Testament authors teach grace giving. Grace giving. And we'll see that when we get into the passage. Uh, grace giving is giving willingly by faith within that relationship of the living God. Hebrews 11.6 says, It is impossible to please God without faith. Romans 14, 23, whatever is not of faith is sin. Jesus is talking about that abiding relationship and doing good works and bearing fruit. And Jesus says in John 15, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's done in that faithful abiding relationship with Christ. What about the televangelists? They get on the TV, you've heard them, and say, send me the money. And they quote, they misquote, take out of context all these passages saying, if you give me this amount of money, if you send a check for this, God will give you a hundred times back. You know, and people buy into that. And these guys are all rich because of it. What's the deal with that? They promise good health and wealth if you send them money. I once had a sermon in answer to this, just the opposite. Uh, this guy was teaching on the same subject, the same passage that we're looking at. And a wonderful preacher, he says, Well, I'll make you a promise that if you give $10,000, I will guarantee you one thing. You will be $10,000 poorer. 
That's the, that's the absolute truth. If you think you deserve something back, like these televangelists are saying, if you, that's why you're giving it because you want something back, forget it. That's not what's going on in the New Testament. God wants us to freely, joyfully, cheerfully give. He wants to see that willingness, that sincerity in your heart. You think he really needs it? Of course not. This is about blessing us, in fact. We're not doing him a big favor in giving, right? So it shouldn't be looked at as an obligation, but as an opportunity that God's giving us to be a part of the ministry. So he took, that minister took the emphasis off of expecting more money in return and put the emphasis on giving from the heart in faith. Did Paul command to give? We're going to see the answer is no. In chapter 8, verse 8, Paul says, I am not, repeat not, speaking this as a command. How much clearer can you get? Who are you going to believe? What you read or what somebody out there tells you? Hopefully you can read. I trust you more with a Bible than I trust the greatest doctors and theologians and televangelists in the whole world. Anybody here with a Bible who can read is worth far more than they are. I don't care who they are. So Paul did not command this. What did he promise, though? That you would receive the grace of God. Who knows what that is? It's the free gift of God. It's Maybe in heaven. Or it may be that inner happiness we have of being a part of the ministry, of serving, of doing what we know is good and right. How much should you give? Paul says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, as you have purposed in your heart, as you are able in your heart to sincerely, willingly, joyfully give, give that. But never give under compulsion. How about them apples? Never give under compulsion. Billy Graham has a great story about this. I've heard him speak, and he says the same thing, by the way. And Billy Graham said he was a guest preacher in a church. They had called him and said, do you believe in free speech? He said, yeah. And they said, come give one. <laughs> so he was there at that church, and and uh, before the sermon, you know, they had the typical deal where they passed the plate. And he reached in his pocket to get a $1 bill. And as he was dropping it in the, in the plate, he noticed it was a $100 bill. And he started to reach for it. And he went, no, I can't let anybody see me do that. I was like, I'm taking money out. So he kind of went, no, not $100. So after the sermon, they were driving home. And he told his wife about it. And she said, you know the saddest thing? God's only give you credit for one buck because that's all you meant to give. <laughs> and Paul promised blessings. He says, you will receive God's love, God's grace. You'll be giving glory to God. Uh, he'll have the saints pray on your behalf and you will receive rewards in heaven. So let's look at the passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now the setting, let's set the setting here. Paul had visited the church at Corinth before and had written him letters 
and had gotten a commitment from them to give money to be part of the uh, donation that he was collecting to give to the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was totally destitute. All these Christians, all these believing Jews in Jerusalem had been cut off by their family and their employers, and they were uh, terribly persecuted. And so they were really suffering there and desperately needed help. And so Paul, he was Jewish, he's from Jerusalem, and so Paul knows this, and he says, wouldn't it be great? Because Paul's kind of like a bridge between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And Paul says, boy, this would be great for the unity of the overall church, for the people who have the means to give to the people who have the needs, the Jews in Jerusalem. And so he's going around uh, getting collection from all the saints in Greece. And before, he had announced this before, and the church at Corinth had said they wanted to be involved. They, they said, that sounds great to us. We want to help. And so now Paul is writing in this letter because he's on the way there and he wants them to be prepared. Let me remind you of your commitment to give. And when I get there, I hope you'll have it ready as you said you would. So that's, that's the context of this. So Paul uh, switches um, subjects here in chapter 8 and goes to that subject. And he says, now brethren. So he's talking to brothers in Christ, the people in the church. We wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. That in a great deal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. What he's saying is he was at the church in Philippi and Thessalonica and both of those churches are being persecuted and both of those churches are not rich and yet they have desired to give money to the church in Jerusalem. That's what he's talking about, the grace of giving, that free gift without obligation, without compulsion. They wanted to do this. They considered it a blessing. So grace of God here is their heartfelt longing to give. For I testify, verse 3, I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. I didn't burden them. I didn't try to put a burden or an obligation on them. I just told them about the need and they said, we want to be a part of that. It's voluntary. Verse 4, how much? They begged us, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves. They wanted to be involved in it. They wanted to know about it. They wanted to pray about it as well as their money. They gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They were just like knowing that God would want this to happen for them to help this church in Jerusalem. So consequently, we urge Titus, that's one of Paul's closest disciples, that he had sent before him to Corinth. 
We urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. He'd already told you about it and started you to collecting the money. And so now we told him to make it complete because we were going to be there to pick it up. So what is Paul doing here in the first six verses? He's giving them an example, a grace-giving example of the churches in Macedonia, Thessalonica, and, of course, Philippi, giving that example of believers who came forward and said, we want to do this. This sounds great. Please let us be a part of this. And then verse 7 through 15, uh, he kind of talks about the purposes for giving. You know, why would people want to give like this? So verse 7, but just as you abound in everything, all the attributes of being a Christian. You abound in faith and utterance, meaning the, the word of the Lord, and knowledge in the Lord, and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, so the love for one another. See that you abound in this gracious work also. So this is one of, you might say, the, the areas of Christianity that we're all involved in that really brings a blessing to you and makes you rejoice and makes you a happy person. So he says, just to make sure they understand, verse 8, I am not speaking this as a command, but as a proving, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. By doing this, it just proves up, it reveals, it's a witness to your love for the brethren. For other believers. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's going to again. He just used the churches of Macedonia. Now he's going to use uh, Jesus' example of giving. And this is a great word picture here. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich. Yet for your sake he became poor. That you, through his poverty, might become rich. Isn't that awesome? I'm going to come back to that in a minute. And so he says, I give my opinion in this manner, matter, for this is to your advantage. This giving, being a part of this, is to your advantage. It's for your benefit. Who were the first to begin a year ago not only to do this. So they started taking up collections on a regular basis, probably a weekly basis at their church service for the for the church in Jerusalem that they began that and you had the desire to do it see the emphasis there God wants us to want to give he doesn't want to have to force it or make us wants us to have that desire that's what's important to the Lord but now finish doing it what you said you're going to do what you started to do finish it just as there was the readiness to desire it to begin it, so there may also be the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a man has, not according to what he does not have. That's another great principle. God doesn't expect you to give what you don't have. Just whatever you have that's over what you need, that's, that's what they can give, right? So he's not saying, like a lot of these, there's nothing wrong with this, but a lot of uh, these 
these ministries will say, uh, we want you to give, and if you can't give, we want you to make the pledge anyway. You know, they want you to owe, feel like you owe it, you know, and they'll tell you, because uh, if you do that, then the Lord will give you, well, he may or he may not, I don't know. But I'm just saying that's not biblical. Give what you have, not what you don't have, is what Paul is saying here. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction. We're not trying to hurt you here. We don't want you to have to starve yourself two or three days a week to, put, to give a little more money. No. We want you to have what you need, and then everything that's in abundance that you have, give part of that. Verse 14, and at this present time, your abundance, you do, he knows they, they are a very wealthy church. He knows that they have an abundance, being a supply for their want. So you know you've got an abundance, and they have a great need, that their abundance also may become a supply for your want, that there may be equality. So what he's saying is, you're going to be blessed by this, which is what you need. They need money. They need food and clothing and what have you, basic needs. And they're going to be blessed by that as well. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who also gathered little had no lack. So went both ways. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness. So he thanks God, praises God for putting that desire, the earnestness in people's hearts. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. Talking about Titus. He took on the job and went to you uh, on his own accord. We have sent along with him the brothers. So what he's going to tell you now is when you do give, make sure that there's accountability and responsibility. Because a lot of times, you know, you send that check, especially if it's something you're not involved in, don't know anything about, you send them a check. You don't know what they do with it, right? And so what he's saying here is make sure there's accountability and responsibility, that you know what the money's being spent for. You know that there actually is a need, you see. So he says, we have sent along with Titus. He's not going to have this money by himself. We sent along with him the brother whose fame in these things of the gospel spread through all the churches, namely Luke, I think. So Luke is with Titus, and they're holding each other accountable. Because, I mean, just think, you know, if it was Kramer that had this big thing of money, he'd probably go bet on the horse races. Right? He'd hear some guy on the subway say, this is a sure thing. <laughs> and so he's saying, you know, make sure you hold each other accountable and uh, involves more than just one person here. So he's got uh, Luke traveling with him, with Titus, with the money. Verse 20, along with that, taking precaution is what he's, is this accountability. Take precaution that no one should discredit us in our administration of this gift. Make sure that we handle it properly. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We want to be a good witness to men, and we want the Lord to judge us as honorable in these things. 
We have sent with them our brother whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things. So he's the perfect one to do it. But now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. And as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. So in their hard work and raising this money and taking it to the church in Jerusalem, they're glorifying God. All right? So, chapter 9, he continues this, this process of explaining uh, how to give and why you want to give and you want to be a part of this. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. We've already talked about this. You know, you already know this, but I'm going to continue to talk about it. I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians. Namely, that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. It sounds like to me that he's creating a little competition here, <laughs> right? When he went to Macedonia, he probably said, and I know the church in Corinth is going to give, you know, all this. So you, you know, now that he's in going to Corinth, the churches in Macedonia For I know your readiness. I know you're ready to do it. I know you're sitting on go. But I have sent the brethren that are boasting about you may not be made empty. It'll be proven up when you actually deliver the money. And as I was saying, you may be prepared. So you have ample warning and and you'll be ready because Titus and I are coming. Lest if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, should be put to shame by this confidence. <laughs> so I thought it necessary to urge the brethren. He's explaining to them why he's writing this letter and going over this again with them, saying, I know it's superfluous. I know we've talked about this, but I want to make sure. And so I sent the brethren on ahead to you and arranged beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift that the same might be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness, meaning we've changed our mind. We're going to take some of it back. He says, I don't have to worry about that, I'm sure. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. In other words, God's going to bless you uh, bountifully with this. And of course, there's no guarantees. It'll be here and now. At the, at the very least, it'll be in heaven. So he says, let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart. That's what this is about. Whatever you can give. Hopefully, you know, you were thinking when I said there's nothing in the, in the New Testament about tithing, you were saying, then how much should I give? Here's the answer. Whatever you can give purposefully, sincerely in your heart so whatever you have the faith to give that's a pretty good idea of what you should give um, and you know what's great about being actually involved in some of these ministries you see what's going on you see the fruit of it and you know the money's being well spent and you get excited about it you know when you just send a check to something you don't know anything about and you never have any connection with it and you're not involved who knows where that money went or what they did? 
But when you're involved in it, and I think that's what he was saying earlier, was you not only give your money, but you give yourself. I think they're involved, they know about, they're interested in, they pray about uh, where this money's going and how it's going to be used. So let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's what this is about. Get excited about things going on at the church. Get excited about what these ministries are doing that you're giving to. God is able, if you're a cheerful giver, God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. So pray to the Lord and expect Him to give you the opportunity to not only have the money to give, but to have the church or the ministry or the uh, place to give it, right? That's what's exciting. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So God is with you in this endeavor, and he's going to help you if you sincerely from the heart want to give. And you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. We're praising God for the opportunity to give. Can you imagine that? For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. So you're meeting the needs of the saints, and you're getting all this thanksgiving back in return. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God. That's what it's all about, isn't it? That's the purpose of life. People all say, well, what's the purpose of life? It comes down to that. The purpose of life is to serve and glorify God. That's it. He's hit it. Glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. To glorify God is the noblest goal of any human work. While they also, I think the church in Jerusalem also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. See the unity there? I mean, there was a divide between Jews and Gentiles. What he's saying is, as you meet their need and they feel your love for them, it's going to bring everybody together. They will yearn for that relationship with you. Unity in the church. And thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It's the bottom line. Thanks, for, thanks be to God for all of his gifts to us. So what, what did he say then, verse 10 through 14? He said, God's going to bless you. How so? I saw at least five things. First of all, God will use you and reveal his love through you and make it possible for you to do this. Secondly, you will prove your obedience. You will prove that you obey God through this work. And then also God's grace. God's going to be the giver of all these things to you to give and what they receive. 
And you glorify God, the noblest goal of any human work. And then you will receive back prayers from the people that you gave to. And you'll receive rewards in heaven. Another preacher a long time ago, I was listening to a sermon and they were preaching on giving. And the guy says, give. How much should you give? Give till it hurts. <laughs> oh, God. You know, give till it hurts. Have anybody else ever heard that? Give till it hurts. Does that sound like what Paul's saying? He's saying just the opposite. Give until you can rejoice and be blessed. That's it. That's why you give. And that's what happens when you do give. Now, in conclusion, go back to chapter 8, verse 9. That awesome passage I said I was coming back to. you. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich. In what way was he rich? He was in heaven as God. In all the glory of God, in perfection, being worshipped by all the heavenly hosts, all the prerogatives of being God. No pain, no suffering, no problems. He gave that up. He was rich in that and he gave it up and he became poor. Why? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And so that's what he's saying here. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich for your sake, because he loved you, he became poor. He took on the flesh with all of its limitations, all the pain and suffering, all the childhood diseases, the bullies in the schoolyard. And then the rejection during his years of ministry, rejection, humiliations, and then finally suffering and being killed the worst kind of death on a cross. He became poor. And he did that out of love. And what was the result? That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Why? That you may, through his poverty, might become rich. So because of what he did, the incarnation and his death on the cross through what he did, we might become rich spiritually. So it's a great play on words, isn't it? Rich and poor in a material way and rich and poor in a spiritual way. I love the way this guy writes. It's awesome. It's almost as if it was inspired <laughs> by God. It absolutely is. So Jesus did these things purely for us, purely out of love, and knowing that, feeling that love and that grace, we have a desire to give, a desire to be a part of God's ministries. And so we step up willingly, not out of compulsion, to give as God has given to us. Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for blessing us. So many things. Wow. We're so fortunate, Lord, to receive your bounty and our good health and our well-being and all that you've given us in riches, material wealth. And I pray, Lord, that you would make it a part of our heartfelt desire to give back 
and to be diligent as Paul was in knowing where the money was going and what they were doing with it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.